my goal was to complete the overview of the signs as recorded in the Gospel of John. <laughs> you can tell by the first word I used, right? In four weeks, my ambitions were hopeful. And I realized once I started studying this text, nope. I, 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 sorry. There's so much packed in this text, and I really didn't want to throw it too, too much as an overview. And I didn't want to dishonor the text and everything that was there. So I wanted us to have a deeper understanding of the text. So someday in the future, as the Lord wills, or Joe wills, either one, right? We will complete the sign study. But for today, go into your Bibles, electronic or otherwise, John chapter 9. You know, for three separate weeks, we've been, as an overview, covering the evidentiary signs in the Gospel of John and these signs are the evidences that Jesus is the Messiah. Evidences that Jesus is God. The evidence is presented so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ. And when we started with the first sign of Jesus changing water into the best wine, we had enough truth right there to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Yet, John provides more and states at the end of his gospel, this was a very little list, a small list, just a sampling of all that Jesus did. And you remember back in John 20, verse 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And you think, okay, that's cool. Maybe there's ten. No. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we're going to work through the text and I hope bring home some details that basically just a really quick read through John 9 you might not pick up as well. So really all I'm going to try to do this morning is just really walk through the text. So stay, keep your Bible open, keep moving through it. We're going to do, we're just moving through the text and we're going to have to start with verse 1. So chapter 9 verse 1 Simple statement, it says, and he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, Jesus was, had just left the temple, but the wording in the Greek is general. It's not really specific, so we can't really determine the time nor the specific location of this event. We don't understand the specific details and what we will add later is that this man was a beggar. You don't get that in the first sentence. But the best place for a beggar to be is around the temple. So there would be a large amount of people passing by him and many opportunities for him to receive alms. So the logical thing is Jesus just left the temple. Where he encountered this man would have been one of the major pathways in and out of the temple. Logical stint. Think too that there's no welfare system He's dependent upon the giving of others for survival in his daily needs. So it's not like he's just casually there. It's a need. We learn that this man was blind from birth, or what we would call in our understanding today a congenital disease or defect or condition. He's too old for a natural healing of the eyes and nerves to occur. We've talked about that before. That 
you start noticing that there's age identified inside text, and that's to help you to understand. It's not like this guy's going to wake up someday and also he sees. He's too old for that. So, something has got to happen, and God has got to perform a miracle. There's got to be an intervention that doesn't exist. And I also was thinking, too, I'm sure that his parents tried as best as they could for many years to see if the doctors could do anything. You think about much like the woman who had that severe bleed, that she had really spent all of her money on the doctors and still nothing. So I'm wondering if these parents may have been in that same situation. They, they did everything they could. And their poor son is just left to do nothing but beg. So let's move to verses 2 through 5. The disciples with Jesus ask a question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, as I read this section, one of the biggest things that hits me first, remember something else that was said in the scriptures, especially with the, the disciples asking that kind of a question. So my thoughts, my mind moved back to Job. Remember Job's three friends? Guys, you kind of go, these are friends? Yeah. And they're constantly attacking and accusing Job of being a great sinner because that's why he was suffering. And that God was causing judgment on him because of his sin. So this is the kind, you're kind of like, where is this mindset coming from? Where are they coming, where are they come up with this? You know, why would the disciples think that this was the way it's going? You think about it, it was a thought in those days that was derived more of the Greek philosophy that the soul pre-existed and the individual was being punished for sins in another life. We'd call it today reincarnation. You know, the Bible does not give it all any credence to that and it also denounces that as a full reality because it's false. So they move on to say, all right, if that's not the man's fault, then his parents. We understand that children will pay for the sins of their parents in life choices of the mother while carrying a baby. Consider this situation. A child's blindness could be that of the mother who had gonorrhea, and when the baby passed through in birth, was infected, and if that's not treated, the child will go blind. Something I remember in, in growing up, and especially understanding blindness, people born blind, there was a time in our own medical history that the practice was to put the newborn in 100% oxygen when just after birth. But later we learned that that burnt the optic nerve to destruction and blindness occurs. So drug use of the mother, her own sin, was a cause for possible blindness or other issues with the child after birth. We've seen that. We understand it. We understand that there's things that people do that fall onto their children. But it goes a little deeper than that. But think about this too. The Old Testament details in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that the sins of the parents can go to the third and fourth generations. You remember that text? And you're probably going, well, wait a minute, there's that text. These are not sins of the individual, but it's the whole, it's societal. 
Dr. MacArthur summarized this well in his commentary. He says, such passages, however, must be understood in a national or societal sense. The point is that the corrupting effect of a wicked generation seeps into the subsequent generations. And he continues, the idea that a child will be punished or the sins of his own parents is a concept foreign to scripture as found in Deuteronomy 24.16. So no, God's not going to judge a child, especially you think about this, this man who was born blind. In other words, he sinned somewhere in the womb and he's responsible for that? No. Jesus answers their question with the correction that it was neither the man nor his parents, but a natural blindness. At this point, the condition of the man will be used to show the sign and power of God in healing him. It'll be the power of Christ that will show what is to occur here. It is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God is going to use this man's blindness to show his power. Blindness occurred, but here's the healing. Following the answer, Jesus reminds the disciples that we must work the works of him who sent me. We must work. Jesus came to do, and this will be given to his disciples to continue to do when he's gone. The time of the day brings to bear the sense of urgency. You realize we've only got so much time. You think about if in that time period they didn't have electric lights, they didn't have all kinds of lighting systems. So literally your work day ended when the sun was down. You couldn't do anything. You're not going to work in the field in the middle of the pitch darkness of the night. So you've got only so much work you can do. And then it's night. There are only so many hours of light that you can work to be done. So urgency means it's a short period of time. That comes down to us as well. We have only so much time to minister to those around us. We were kind of talking about that in our group. And the fact that we only have so much time. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know that the people around us, when they're going to die. So the sense of urgency should just naturally be there. There's a limit to the opportunities that we have. So our time is short, and so is the time of those around us. We do not know the hour when we will not be here any longer, nor will we know the time of those around us. We're not going to have that as an absolute. We're to be about the spreading of the gospel using a strong sense of urgency. So that helps us to kind of realize, even Jesus says, you know, there's shortness. There's a small availability of time. All right, further we move to verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You notice this one again? Here we go again. Another healing, that fanfare. No lights, no announcements, no smoke on the stage kind of thing. Jesus made mud. Not really big, right? Mud. From what? Uh, not get into that. He applied the mud and commanded, go and wash. That's it. Again, nothing huge. No big announcement. Two other times recorded in Mark, Jesus used only saliva, but this time he makes mud. So there's a uniqueness with this one. 
We're not given any reason, but this becomes a major point in the religious leaders, so hang on to that. He made mud, okay? Didn't just spit and apply. He spit, made mud, okay? Sorry, this is probably not one of those, you know, <laughs> tasty things to deal with. I got it. Sometimes you do read Scripture go, oh, okay. John makes a note not only of the name of the pool, but also provides the translation of the name. And I think that's unique. Again, those are unique things you want to hone in on. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit moved John not only to name the pool, but name the translation of the name of the pool. It's got significance here in the text. The pool was built for water storage in times of war and when the city was besieged and derived its water supply by a tunnel from the Gihon Spring that was built, when you see the recording of that, in 2 Kings chapter 20. There was a reason why that aqueduct, that tunnel system, was built. It was thought that later the name symbolized the blessing of God sent to his people as used by the priests during the Feast of the Tabernacles. So when they would come and receive the water from the pool, it was what the blessings what God had sent. So that was kind of became that symbolism back in that time. Moreover, think about even deeper than that. Moreover, Jesus was sent from the Father to save his people, yet they rejected the sent one. So you could kind of start thinking through this going, sent. Why would John use that? Why would he state that? It's just a pool of water. That's the significance here. So our blind man received the mud on his eyes and commanded to wash in the pool, and he obeyed the words of Jesus. You know what? That's a sincere mark of a true believer. The obedience. Jesus did say that. He says, those who obey me are what? They're mine. They love me. They obey me. That's a key issue. Let's go a little further in our dialogue. Verses 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, it's he. And others said, nope. But he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Can you imagine what this guy's going through? It's me. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Consider what this guy knows at this point. Not a lot. He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to Siloam and wash. That's all he knows. It's kind of basic. So I went and washed and received my sight. That's all I got. They said to him, where is he? I don't know. I like that. I mean, let's just get realistic here in our thinking. If this guy's been blind his whole life, right? He may have heard about Jesus, but could he have picked Jesus out in a crowd after he received his sight? No. So it makes sense. He says, I don't know. I didn't see him before I was blind. And I'm definitely not going to recognize him now. So I don't know. I love the guy. He's so natural. Okay. Now here's a situation that seems to have confused some. Here's a man they had seen for years. But the hard to believe part is that he can see. What? Hard for the mind to wrap around is the fact that 
They always knew him as blind, and now he can see. Put yourself in that situation. You had a friend, born, grew up together, born blind. All of a sudden he comes over the house and goes, Hi, good to see you. Uh, were you faking it all those years? No. But they're, they're confused, even down to the point of going, He looks familiar, but he can see. Okay, so again, they're struggling. I love it. He's verified by his neighbors, but yet they are struggling to realize the truth. How's this happen? They have never observed a miracle like this one to someone they knew. They, they, they got no background history for this one. His answer is simple. The man Jesus made mud, placed it on my eyes, and then he washed in the pool and now can see. That's it. That's all he's got. And they ask, well, where is he? I don't know. It's logical for those men not to identify Jesus. It's very logical. Nothing's standing out. He's just, I, I don't know. I mean, Jesus could have been standing right next to him, and would he have had the same answer? Yep. I don't know. All right. Go a little further. Verses 13 through 16. Now we start getting to some of the little festy fun stuff. They brought to the Pharisees that man who had formerly been blind. Okay, we're verifying the fact he's been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. Ooh, there's your underscored statement. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. I'm pretty sure this is probably the abbreviated version, right? Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, Good point. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? I like the logic. And there was a division among them. I love that statement. Yeah, that's an understatement, isn't it? Division. You have two sides of this camp. He's a sinner, cannot do this, or he's from God. That's it. That's all you got. Interesting that they bring up an argument against their own thinking, and they can go straight to the incorrect conclusion. He's a sinner, and he's not from God. But yet, we have a man born blind, standing before them, healed as only God can heal, and they go straight to he's not God. Even with the evidence right before someone, they will refuse to believe the absolute truth. So much like our day to day. Piling up evidence after evidence after evidence. What does Paul say in Romans? They took what? The truth and turned it into a lie. And they believe the lie. That's life. That's truth for them. So it Things haven't changed, but think about it. You've got hard evidence standing in front of you, and you go, nope. Still don't understand this. The key boiling point for the Pharisees is another miracle performed on the Sabbath. Remember the lame guy? After being healed, he was commanded by Jesus to carry his mat. Violation of a man-made rule on the Sabbath. Remember, they caught the guy and go, why are you carrying your mat? Uh, he told me to. Blind man was healed by the making of mud, also a violation of the man-made rules for the Sabbath. 
The Pharisees don't care anything about the individual, nor of the healing, but only the ridiculous rules. They never give God the praise for his work of healing. They're not even open to the fact that Jesus is God. This man breaks our rules is all they can think of. That's it. They're done. They don't think past this. You know what? They're so deep into their legalistic system, they can't even see that it has nothing to do with God. I remember the time that they're dealing with the Sabbath and Jesus says, who's really the, the ruler of the Sabbath? It's not you. It's God. God's the one who said this. And you've missed the whole point. Others were able to put the truth together and come to the only conclusion. Jesus performed a miracle that only God can do. Remember, too, that the blind man started with simple faith as he obeyed Jesus and washed in the pool. So there's a big difference going on here between these two groups and the blind man. Now we move to verses 17 through 24. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anybody should confess Jesus as the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now that's, sorry, that's a big section. A lot to unpack. The hard-hearted Pharisees will not believe that Jesus is God. They're looking for any way out that they can find. So drag the parents into this query. Find out what's happening. I like it, you know, that you guys think that he's, you know, is he really blind? The parents are going to be the only ones who's going to know, especially if they actually did put the money out for a lot of doctors and went nowhere. So they asked the parents if this is their son. He is. They asked if he was born blind. He was. They asked how that he can see now, and they've got no idea. That's as far as they can go, really, in full testimony. They know that this is going in the wrong direction because the subject is starting to land on Jesus. And if you support Jesus, you're out of the synagogue. That's it. So the parents end the query by turning it back on their son, saying, he's of age, ask him. He's old enough to testify on his own behalf, and it's, it's what happened to him, not us, so ask him. That's reasonable. That's as far as they can go with this whole thing. So again, they call the man back. Start, this is really starting to be the fun part, folks. Start lo- looking at this and watching. Watch this blind man as he grows in his faith. It's just amazing to see. And again, they call the man back. But this time, they do not want any more evidence about Jesus because their minds are made up that he's a sinner and a common man. 
when they confront the man by the term and they say, give glory to God, that kind of throws a little, that's a little weird, especially with the whole sentence. And you take a look at it, that's really a statement where they're saying it's a warning for him to tell the truth and stop lying. And agree with them that this man is a sinner. The only true way to give glory to God is to acknowledge who Jesus is and obey him. That's an interesting statement. They said, you know, give God the glory. That in the legal terms and what they would be doing, again, is the statement to sit there and say, we're tired of your lies. Stop lying to us. Start telling the truth because you've got to wake up. This guy's a sinner, so I don't know what game you're playing. I mean, they're getting indignant. I love this part, 25 through 30. And if I hear some snickering, I would agree. He answered. Well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Now, if anybody's going to know this, it's him. They said to him, what did he do to you? Look at this reply. Now remember, he's standing before the final judicial system of the Jews. How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. You would not listen. And why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And again, this guy's boldness is growing. He knows what's happened to him, and he knows it's only God who can do this. Because... Why? <laughs> wow, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. So you guys don't know God, huh? Maybe I should spend some time with you guys and help you understand. It's just amazing. But again, this pops these guys completely off. The Pharisees are looking for anything they can do to convict Jesus of violating the Sabbath, so they ask what Jesus did. Aha, they found something. Yeah, whatever. Did he perform a work that would violate the Sabbath? Their rule, Sabbath, okay? Remember, this is God doing the miracle. So God's not going to break his own law. So it's not his law. It's man's law. So they ask, but the boldness of the man is growing with his faith. He's indignant that he's asked again, and I am sure the first time he reported these things had great details as far as he could understand. He's frustrated that they did not listen the first time, so he comes back with a sharp reply, do you want to become his disciples? You missing something? Do I need to help you down this road? I mean, this guy is, whoa. I don't think I'd be that bold. But I mean, you think about it, he's been blind his whole life and now he sees. I don't really care what you think. I know what happened to me. That sets them off and they verbally attack the man. It's, who knows what they accosted him with, what kind of language. You know, it wasn't glorifying or dignifying. But also notice too what they said. Instead of Accurately examining Jesus, they hid behind Moses and someone they can never even see, and yet they have Jesus and the signs right before them. You know, they have more evidence before them than Moses. They have Jesus before them. They have the miracles. They have everything that's been going on. 
They will not call Jesus by name, but only man. The man's sarcasm comes out sharp and goes to the strong conclusion. You don't know anything about Jesus. Who he is, where he is now. It seems like you don't even want to know, but all I know is that he opened my eyes. I don't care what you think. There is hard evidence here, but you don't want to even check it out to see if it is true that Jesus is the Christ. Man, I like this guy. The unbeliever is the same today. You can have all the evidence in the world, and we do. Yet, they will not come to saving faith because of their blindness. Unless God does the work to open their mind, their eyes, and their heart, they will justify their sin and reject Christ. Now watch this. Keep going. The healed man becomes even more bold. Verses 31 through 34. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Yeah, I told you I like this guy. His reasoning is very logical, and the conclusion is clear and obvious. The Pharisees keep going back to the point that Jesus is a sinner, so our blind man takes that and goes to the other end of the logic and says, Nope. True. God does not listen to sinners. Got that one. You're right. But... To the one who is a true worshiper of God, he listens. So with what has occurred, at least the blind man can say that Jesus is a true worshiper of God. They can't. Now he goes in deeper. That a miracle of this kind has never been performed since the creation of the world by the hands of man. I mean, he's using a tremendous amount of logic here. But it has occurred. His conclusion is that this man had to be God. Notice that this man has moved from calling Jesus man, then calling him a prophet, to outright stating that he is God. It's the only conclusion with the hard evidence. So what did the Pharisees do? Guess what? Back to where we started with the disciples. You are the ultimate sinner because you were born blind. That's their thinking again, remember? They go back to their cultural error and dismiss the man as an extreme sinner before birth. I don't get it. Looking away from Jesus is all they're doing. Doing anything they can to deny him. It is not about the evidence nor the clear conclusion. They just reject Jesus. They deny the truth. So the only thing they can do, because this argument is going nowhere fast and it's getting worse is they got to turn against the guy quickly, and they just excommunicate him. They throw the guy out. You know, that's that old thing where we used to kind of like, as kids, you know, if you didn't want to hear anything, you put your fingers in your ear, you go, la, 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 and you're trying to block it out. That's what they're doing. They're getting rid of the guy. What do you think they killed Jesus? They wanted to shut him up, and they thought killing would be the great way to do it. Did it work? Nope. Again, 
No matter the evidence given, a sinner will not turn to Jesus unless God does the work to open the eyes to see Jesus. Final part, verses 35 through 38. Now Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I mean, he's sincere. I I do want to know, yes, but I need to know more. And Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus heard that he was excommunicated. And he finds him, seeks him out. The man moves from Jesus being the one who healed him to the Savior. Jesus now asks a very direct question to the man by using the word you. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man shows an open heart, a believing heart, and he wants to believe the Son of Man, wants to know him. He needs to know more about the object of his faith, so he asks who it is. And Jesus simply replies, it's I. The man does not hesitate or go into debate, but immediately replies, I believe. I mean, think about the newness of his faith. It's been hours. He says, I believe. Complete. He's all in. It's his whole life. The only response to this true believer is what he does next. He worshipped Jesus. Do you also have something else triggering in your head? When an angel would show up, especially at the... You've got an angel that shows up at the birth announcement, and you've got the angel that shows up at the tomb, and everyone starts to worship the angel. The angel says what? Stop. You can't worship me. I'm like you. Does Jesus deny that worship? No. Who's the only one who can receive worship? It's God. Yet another sign that proves that Jesus is the Christ. So what are we to do? Continue to share the gospel and then leave the results up to God. Only he can save sinners. We're to be at the task of sharing the gospel to all people. We have studied another sign, and the evidence just continues to build. So let me ask you this. With this evidence and this truth, what are you going to do with it? You know, something like this could be even something as simple as, you know, we were studying in John chapter 9 something that happened to a blind man. You got a minute I can share with you? That opens the door. Can you share what happened? It's simple. But the time is short. The day is not long. There's only so much light in the day to get the work done. Jesus is saying, we got to get the business. we got to get going. Let's pray. Father, we have one more sign, one more piece of evidence, more evidence than we actually really need, more evidence than any of us actually really need. But yet, it's just a small sample of all the evidence that was there. 
And because of rejection and denial and wanting to do their own thing, the Pharisees did everything they could to just deny Jesus for the most ridiculous reasons. You know, the people around us do the same thing and it, it hurts us. In a, in a way, it does frustrate us. Because we know that if they die, we know they are forever separated from you and there's not a second option, a second chance, or something to work out. It's over. There's nothing but torture and torment. Again, that's nothing that we understand. We can't even grasp it. God, help us to be mindful of the fact that the evidence is before us and it's clear. Jesus is God. And the evidence of healing this man's congenital blindness is complete. But also help us to be mindful that the day is short. Soon it'll be night. You can't work. There is a time when that darkness will fall on our eyes and the people around us. So give us an urgency and a sense to move and to speak the truth and to live out the Christian life in transparency around those people that we know and love. Father, guide us, direct us, and help us to review the fact that these are only a short number of signs, but these signs are so clear that Jesus was not a man, just a man. He was God incarnate. And he lives today and intercedes for us continually. And we thank you. God, help us to be obedient men and women, not only to know the word and to enjoy the word, but men and women to share the truth and proclaim the gospel to all people. Give us strength and power and boldness. In Jesus, amen.